You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 58 for Monday, the 10th of April, 2017. My guest today is thriller writer Rachel Amflert, and it's a second time on the show. I was keen to catch up with Rachel because after her first interview with me, I watched as she rolled out an amazing pre-launch and post-launch promotional strategy, which I'm really keen to share with everybody who listens to the podcast. Now, we won't be going into Rachel's self-publishing story again in this episode. You can hear that in episode number 35, and I'll place the interview on the resources page for this week's show. Instead, today, we break down each step of Rachel's launch process and examine what worked best for her and the lessons that she's learned. Rachel released the first book in her new K Hunter series, Scared to Death, on the 6th of December 2016, and she set out an intricate and comprehensive launch formula to ensure that book's success. I started by asking her, now the dust has settled, how happy she was with the launch of that first book in the K Hunter series. Just a bit. Um, it is probably the best launch I've ever had. And it proved to me that if you put in all the front-end effort, and it was a heck of a lot of effort, um, it paid off. And by paying off, I don't mean that what I wanted, part of my strategy was to avoid a massive hit spike on the first couple of days. I wanted a long-tail sales strategy going through the month of December and into January, and that's exactly what I got. I can't believe the amount of work that you did there. When I was watching you, we'd, we'd done our interviews, <laughs> our first interview, and I was following you, obviously, on social media and looking at the huge amount of work that you were doing to promote that book. And I, I think I got onto you fairly quickly, didn't I? So we've got to talk about it again, Rachel. I, yeah, I, I yeah. need to pick this to pieces and see exactly what you did. So how did you, before you launched that book, then, did you sit down and work out a plan for it? Yeah, I've actually um, got the plan in front of me here because um, I knew this is what we wanted to delve into today. So what I have in front of me is a scared-to-death action plan that covers three A4 sheets of paper. And on those three A4 sheets of paper is a to-do list from hell that starts at the end of September with getting my book cover finalized and goes right through to the days following the publication date on 6th of December. Now, I know that you took a, a work sabbatical around this time. Where did that sabbatical fall in terms of that great long list of things to do? <laughs> um, I left my job at the end of August and basically said to my boss, look, I'm sorry, I'm, this, this book is going to be the one that makes me or breaks me. Um, I've got to put my all into it. So guess what? I'm quitting. And after we picked himself up off the floor, he was like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I've got to, I've got to really give this the best shot I've got. Um, so that was, I left, yeah, so I left work at the end of August. And so from the 1st of September, I was finishing the book and starting to contact book bloggers and researching the ones that would be better suited for this book. And when I did eventually go back to work, it was part-time because the writing's just last year is amazing. The, the end of last year is just incredible. Um, the fact that, that it is doing so well now, the books are doing so well. I don't actually have to work full time anymore. 
That's a fantastic release, isn't it, from that relentless mm. pressure? Because I think um, when we spoke last time, you were talking about a commute, I think. You've got a commute, and uh, and full-time work makes it really hard to squeeze the writing in. And you're tired, frankly, aren't you, after you've, you've done a job? Yeah, I mean, I was really disciplined for, for the years that I've been taking the writing seriously, shall we say, as in that every time I got on the train at 7 a.m., um, it's a half-an-hour commute into the city from where I live in Brisbane, and the minute I sat on the train, I, was, I had the laptop open, I was writing, and my word count was, was shooting up. You know, on an average day, I was hitting between 750 and 1,200 words in that time. But it was the business side of it that was starting to suffer, and that's why I had to step away from the work in order to make sure that this launch was set up properly because I couldn't have done it otherwise. There, I just, there wasn't enough hours in the day and at weekends. I was pulling 16 to 18 hour days and I, I still do sometimes, you know, most of the time it's, you know, I, I work long days now, but taking that time away from work allowed me to get the head start that I wanted to finish um, last year and to, and to launch Scared to Death. Okay, let's start to pick through that plan then, because I, I think it's so informative for people, you know, who are trying to launch books. There was so much in there. That, that worked. It was like a huge pincer movement to get that book yeah. you know, really high in the charts. So what was the main kind of thrust of your, your marketing campaign there? Um, I overhauled everything from scratch, right from the website, new author photos, um, new, new profiles across the board on all my social media, on my BookBub page, um, Amazon Author Central, my email signatures changed everything um, right at that granular level and it was a case of working with book bloggers a lot more closely than I had done before and I think with the the genre of the book that I would that scared to death is as in the police procedural and it was more acceptable for me to be writing that sort of thing which was all a bit bizarre but it was so well received um I started the pre-orders on Kobo and iTunes back at the beginning of October and made the decision not to put it on pre-order on Amazon um, for reasons that I think are quite well known with regard to the algorithms within the indie world. And from then on, it was working with getting some advertising in. I tried Thunderclap campaigns. I tried, you know, I, I pitched to International Thriller Writers and the Crime Writers Association um, for some some publicity. I wrote press releases. I set up interviews both on local radio here in Brisbane and with BBC Radio Kent. It was everything I could think of, I did. I read a, a Facebook post of yours, and this I think just gives a really good insight into just how much work you're doing on top of the writing. You put a note on the 19th of February, and I know we're slightly out of time sync here, but you, you commented, pitched to 43 libraries to see if they'd be kind enough to stock my books and sent interview questions to four fab crime thriller authors to appear on the blog between March and April. Now, uh, to me, that post just sums up how much work you are doing to drive this all the time. That's a normal, that's a normal Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be a day of rest, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Not if you want to get ahead. <laughs> but I said to this, no. to, this to you last time, you know, you've got to be really driven, haven't you, to get this going? Yeah, and you got to, it helps. I love what I do. I really, you know, I really do enjoy the business side as much as I enjoy the writing side. And let's face it, I mean, when you see these little successes going forward, it keeps you motivated. 
what about this blog tour then? I haven't touched blog tours at all and I, I don't know whether there's any value in them or not. It sounds to me like you're telling me there is. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'd like to think that I've made quite a few friends out of it as well and people I've stayed in touch with when I'm not even, I haven't even got anything to advertise and I'm, I'm staying in touch with these people on Facebook as friends and, and Twitter and stuff. It was something that I had pitched to before when I brought out Three Lives Down, I think, the, the third Dan Taylor book, but didn't get too much of a response. But I'd forged these relationships through social media when I got back from Crime Press last year more than anything. And the more that I was interacting with these people, they gave me the confidence to pitch. And essentially all I did, I Googled um, book bloggers that were interested in crime thrillers and took a look at their web pages, saw what the, they had reviewed before to find out if scared to death was something that might be up their street that they might consider and read their submission guidelines. I can't emphasize that enough. Don't just email book bloggers out of the blue, you know, check what they check that they review what you're writing and read the submission guidelines. Cause these people work so hard for nothing. And it was really quite funny. I, I was super nerd as usual, set up a spreadsheet and to track everybody that was emailing and I thought I might get about, you know, working on the law of averages. I thought, oh, if I get 10 to 20 book bloggers behind this to help me get the word out the week before the book comes out and then a week after, that would be awesome. And so I emailed 64 bloggers <laughs> and three quarters of them came back and said oh. yes. So hence why I had a bloody long blog tour of about four weeks or so, because I couldn't turn any of them down. They were being so sweet and so enthusiastic about the book and what I was doing that um, it was so funny. It, it taught me so much about maybe I should just have a little bit more faith in myself. Mm, that's a brilliant response, though, isn't it? I hope you've discovered canned responses in Gmail, by the way, so that you don't have to keep rewriting these emails. Have, have you discovered this yet? I haven't, but I just use copy and paste. <laughs> All right, that's okay. Well, canned responses are a bit like that, but um, any time I have to write an email more than once, I use canned responses, which is even quicker than cut and paste. And, Should have um, done that for those 43 libraries. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah I'll just you, you use Gmail, do you? Yes, All right. yeah, for the author email I do, yeah. Do, do a search on canned responses. It will save you a lot of time with this. It really will. And, and I have loads of canned responses. It's how I, I automate my business and save time. So, yeah, it would be well worth you looking at that. It's a great little <laughs> it might technique. might be, yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, though, I mean, if I hadn't taken those five, five, six weeks off work, that's what I was doing during that time off. <laughs> time off, <laughs> inverted commas. Um, this time, um, one of the book bloggers that I worked with she emailed me after the blog tour and went, look, we all know how much effort that took to pull it together. You know, she said, I also organize blog tours. If you want me to organize your next one, I'm more than happy to. Here's my rate sheet. And so with this current book that's about to come out in April, Will to Live, I just handballed it. I was like, yep, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> But the, I mean, outsourcing, it's really important, isn't it, sometimes? I, I've just outsourced the formatting of my books in CreateSpace because although I can do it, it takes me for ages and it's a pain in the butt to do. And I yeah, really don't you're enjoy right. It. Yeah, and you're right. And I think that's something that I was learning towards the back end of last year. I mean, you already delegate your cover design and your editing and stuff like that. And I think as your business grows, you've got to step away from the stuff that, yes, you can do, but is it actually – are you adding – value to your business by doing it and honestly organizing blog tours great fun um got a lot of friends in that space but it's not 
me adding value to my business there's better things that I can be getting on with like writing the next book yeah absolutely when you do a blog tour and again uh, forgive my ignorance with this because it's just not been on my radar do do you have to write a load of blog posts or is it like just a and a thing that they are organized for you yeah it's um I gave them when I when I emailed everybody. I gave them the choice. I said, "Look, I'd, I'd be delighted to send you an, an ebook ARC. Um, whether it's something that you can do a feature, a review, or an author Q and A, or if you want me to write a guest post, I will." And you may recall last time we caught up, I mentioned that I was starting to use um, Dragon Dictate mm. in Scrivener. So. I had something like, oh, God, I had so many guest posts to write. I mean, like I said, the, the enthusiasm from these people was just incredible. Um, I had something like 14 guest posts to write, and uh, the, the interviews went to double figures as well. And, the, and in order to manage it, I created a new project folder in Scrivener, and each file I had in Scrivener was a different author interview or a different guest post, and I just dictated the whole lot. In three days, I just sat my bum in the chair and, and got them all out of the way and then, you know, sent them off. That's amazing. Joe, you know since we spoke, by the way, and based on our conversation, I've bought Dragon now. Um, I, I've Good. Barely, I've barely got the, well, I've barely got the cellophane off. I've, I've, bought, um, <laughs> I've bought two how-to books and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm gonna, uh, I've just had a really ridiculous quarter. You, you and I both planning quarters and, um, mm. and we were chatting off air beforehand. And, and like you, you and I are now working uh, part-time. Um, for me, I'd never had a salary slip in the last six years. So, so it's a return to work to me um, to bootstrap the writing business. But um, f- because I hadn't expected to do that, I ended up just like really packed in quarter one. When I hit quarter two now, everything's going to be much better. And I'm organising my time around actually having to work three days a week. So uh, I will then do Dragon Dictation then. Um, but You'll love it. Uh, well, you obviously are hammering it by the sounds of it. If you're doing blog posts. I, I need to. I, I have to. It's an integral part of my business now. Um, it's I couldn't get through what I need to get through without it. I had, you know, last month, because um, I don't work – because I don't work Fridays. Yes, I do. I work harder on Fridays than I do for my boss. Um, but I can smash out 4,000 words really easy and, you know, first thing in the morning and then just crack on with the business side of stuff. It's interesting that you said that about your boss because when I leave on a Wednesday, they say, have a good weekend. That's angry working for the next four days. Yeah. You know, it's like, like you're off a skive, you know. I work really long hours. That's it. Yeah, I come back into work on a Monday for a break. Yes, I know. It's so funny. They, they, no one can contemplate that you might actually have something else on when you leave the office, yeah, can they? It's really funny. That's it. You just, you just swan around in your writing, Garrett. Exactly. <laughs> I work non-stop for the minute. And actually, when I get home from work, I, I work for a couple of hours too. So, um, Same. It's, um, you know, people's mindset is so different, isn't it? Where all they do is, is earn their income from, from work. On one thing, I, I I do wonder. It's just like I'm obviously there's obviously a bit of obsession going on here in my life, but I wouldn't have it any other way. No, I, but the, it doesn't feel like work. This is the other thing. You know, I think I'm doing ridiculous hours, and then I think, well, do you know, what? you know, it just doesn't feel like work. Any of this doesn't feel like work, uh, and, it, and I don't. I always feel invigorated by it. Mm, absolutely. And that's what keeps you going, isn't it? Because there's nothing more creative as well, I think, than, you know, when I'm doing the books and doing the stories, I just love creating these worlds. It's uh, a fantastic thing to do. (laughs) If if it takes up all your time. Now, I want to just mention to you, because now you've you've written um, Scared to Death. We've got a female lead character. And I did sense last time with Dan Taylor that you felt that as a female author, 
you, I know you've had great success with the Dead Tailors, but you felt like maybe you were pushing against a, a door that was a little bit jammed there. It was a little bit harder. How have you found writing a female lead? Has it been easier for you? Um, I never felt writing the Dan Taylor series was difficult, to be honest. Um, I just love telling stories. Um, but in terms of I how, I said, in terms of how I, people I, I, viewed you as the author, though. Oh God, yeah. I mean, from a reader perception, it's it's been so much easier. It's just been ridiculously easy. Um, I am finding a sort of flow through to the Dan Taylor series. Um, off the back of Scared to Death, more so the box sets. I'm not doing much advertising but on the box sets and had a cracking month with those over um, January on Amazon. So that's that's reassuring to know that people are enjoying the K Hunt, the beginning of the K Hunter series and then are going out and, and finding out what else I've written. Um, but Scared to Death feels like it's, it's, the break, it's, it's opening up more doors for me. It's going to open up more opportunities that hopefully I can drag the Dan Taylor series through with me and my, you know, my other standalone projects. Mm, it's interesting because when you look at the covers on, on the Dan Taylors, you know, they're very much, you know, I see Lee Child, um, Mark Dawson, you know, with the single, the solitary mm. guy kind of covers. They're very geared at that audience. Is that, is that a blokey audience? And are you writing yeah, now for a... I think so. Mm. Uh, it's more of a genre thing, to be honest. I mean, it's like I said, when I redid the covers for the Dan Taylor ones, um, something wasn't working. It was pretty obvious what it was. It was the covers at the end of 2014. So I sat downstairs in our library with all my Bent Flynn books and my Lee Charles and went, yeah, that's where I'm going wrong. They don't, my books don't look like that. And in the lead up to getting the cover design together for this new K Hunter series, I knew that I had to find, you know, everything I learned from the Dan Taylor series has gone into this launch. I've learned so much over the last few years. It's been great. I spent an hour in my local bookshop with the manager who I, who I knew, and we looked at different cover designs. We, we moved along the shelf, looked at spines, um, looked at how different fonts are used, and then working with my cover designer, we came up. I, I knew that I wanted the K Hunter series to look very different from the Dan Taylor ones, hence why my name, for example, is in lowercase. And then I got some samples made up of the new cover, and I was happy with the image. It was actually the text that was causing me consternation. And I must put a shout out for all the authors that I emailed and hit up with the samples going, <gasps> I can't make up my mind. Which one do you think? Do I do capital letters on the title or not on the title? And everyone was really good, um, considering how busy a lot of them are with their own writing projects. And that's how I ended up with the cover that I have. It's very, again, it's very subgenre specific. Um, I noticed since we last spoke that you seem to be on fire on Kobo at the moment and you seem to be quite close to the people who run Kobo. You seem to be one of these selected authors, you know, who's getting a little bit of extra promo. What, how's that relationship developed and what are you doing with Kobo now? The Kobo relationship developed after I went back to them after pulling all my books out of KDP at the beginning of 2015. In fact, I think it might have been 2014 I came out of KDP. Kobo is a slow burner, um, always have been, and people get you can't be impatient with Kobo. You're not going to make a mint straight away unless you've got a huge back catalogue. So I developed the relationship with them over about six months to 12 months. And then when they opened up their promo tab in beta form, beginning of last year, I think it was, I, I jumped on that straight away. I thought I'm having some of that because I've always done better in Canada on Kobo than on the Amazon Canada site. 
And I started getting some of those promos and working with them and working with the merchandisers. And then I started being cheeky and emailing them when I had a new release and going, hey, I've got a new release coming out. How about this? What can we do? Because I can't see anything in the promos tab that might work for me. And uh, I was just blown away what they did for that book in December. I couldn't believe it. I, I pitched them for a promo in beginning of November, angled to promote the launch of the book, and it got pinged. It got rejected, and I was like, oh, damn, I was sort of counting on that. And then it was really funny. I think it was like the, the first, of se- first or second of December, and I was scrolling through on their, um, their Canadian store site, you know, just looking at the other thrillers and stuff that were around, and I saw this advert for Adam Croft's latest book on there, and I, I did a screen grab and emailed it to him and went, hey, good on you. Look at this advert I just found on, you know, Kobo for you and thought nothing of it and then the next day I was scrolling through again and if I'd only just scrolled like two mouse rolls again there was a screen wide banner that Kobo had put together to launch Scared to Death and it stayed on their home site worldwide for the whole month. That's amazing. And I just I just I emailed them all I was like oh my god you guys you're so good I can't believe you did this for me and so what I did last month, as a bit of a thank you to them, um, you, you might see that I bundled up the entire um, Dan Taylor series. Did, so the short yeah. story and the full. Yeah, that's exclusive to Kobo. That's I won't nice. put that anywhere else. That's just for them because they've, they've put so much work behind the scenes into promoting my writing in this last year. Um, so the least I could do was to really just put, you know, to show them that I've got faith in them too as a retailer and, you know, that I love working with them. And the advantage of that with Kobo, of course, is that you can go over that $9.99 threshold. Yeah, but you don't, honestly, you don't need to. And then the other thing I like with Kobo now is that they are now getting all the books. They've now got an overdrive option and you just press a button on your pricing bit for each of your books and they bung your um, e-books into overdrive and that gets you into all the libraries. Really? I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Yeah, and you, and you know, uh, I don't know if you saw the announcement two weeks ago, they're now working with Bold.com in the Netherlands and Belgium, and they are now doing um, page per view, the same as you get in KDP Select for your page reads. They are now doing that. Now, that's interesting because, you see, Kobe I've listed on via draft to digital and um, yep. that, but that, the only reason I did that was because I was having formatting issues with Kobo. I couldn't get it the way I liked it. And I just gave up, you know, like we were saying, some things just aren't worth your time. I just went for yeah. easy option, did it through draft to digital and said, there you go, they're on Kobo. But I also noticed, you see, the other thing I'd like, and I, I saw you sharing this on social media, is your Kobo map of where you've sold. Um, I love that. It's great. It's isn't me, it? me, the travel junkie with two passports. <laughs> you know, I just love that little turquoise map. It's like I think I said on um, on my personal Facebook page the other day. I sold my first book in Namibia two weeks ago. Oh. I was like dancing on the ceiling. I, I I want that. You see, so I I do want to list on Kobo directly. But I'm now using Vellum. Um, yes, you, love are, it. Are you a Mac user? Yeah, and now I don't yeah. have a Mac, you see, that was the problem. But being oh. the geek that I am, I've done a blog post on this. I've now figured out how to use Vellum on a PC, would you believe? Um, oh, uh, so you've got the, are you mimicking the Mac? It, yes, it's, it's a virtual Mac. You can buy, you that's can it. buy a virtual yeah. Mac. So, um, that's how I'm doing it. And so now I'm, now I have found Vellum. Wow. It's just <laughs> brilliant. Do you know what? When I first got that, I was like, how oh, this is worth the money? And then you do your first book and you think, well, I'll, I'll do one book. I, I think I did, Scared to Death was the first book I did with it. And 
I remember just like, okay, and it says just drag and drop it. All right, let's see how good this is. And you, you drag it and drop it. You let go of it. And it's like in under a minute, your book's there. You're like, bloody hell, that's worth 20 bucks a punt. <laughs> how does it do it? It reads my mind. I'm convinced of how I want my mm. book to look. Because well, well, that- it's amazing that everything is just perfect. Yeah, and when I did that five-book box set, I did that in vellum. And that's the easiest box set I have ever put together. Now, I'm pleased you've said that because literally on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday evenings, when I get back from work, uh, I'm going to be doing my box sets for my thrillers. And I did, right. I half saw a blog post from Vellum the other day saying, oh, this is how you do box sets in Vellum. But it's, it sounds like it's pretty easy. You just drop them all into you or something? Yeah, you create an environment for each one, and then it bundles it up. I'll have to send you some screenshots, but um, you'll, you'll only need half an hour, and you'll be done. Really? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so so what you're telling me is that when I come home from work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll get to Netflix earlier that, those evenings. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you won't need Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. But it, I mean, I can't recommend it. You know, I, because I don't have a Mac. I don't like Macs at all. And, you know, I'd heard everybody talking about Vellum. I thought, I've got to, you know, I got there must be a gateway around this. So I just kept messing around with it and um, and found something called Mac in Cloud, which creates a virtual Mac environment for you. So, that's right, yeah. Yeah. There's no cheats, you know, it's all proper license and things, no cheats involved. I've got a licensed copy, you know, paid for it. It works beautifully. And I transfer it between machines via Dropbox. So I just save it to a Dropbox file. It's on my PC instantly. So it just works superbly. So happy. Yeah, no, you're, you're going to love putting together those box sets. You best find something else to do Tuesday and Wednesday. Ah, fantastic. Well, this is how I like to compress my time. I'll get something else done. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Now, the other thing I noticed is that um, you also said that you've got a, a contract with a German publisher now uh, for four books of the Dan Taylor series. C- can you talk me through that and what that involves and how it all works? Yeah, I just pitched to them when I got back from Crimefest last year. Um, I pitched White Gold to them and the publisher came back and he said, look, I'm really sorry, we've spent all our money this, this for this year. We've got nothing else in the budget to take anyone else on. And he said, you know, drop us a line in the new year if you want to. So I lasted until about the 7th of January and um, pitched again and said, look, if you're still interested, I am. You know, here's the first three chapters of White Gold. And he came back to me over that weekend and went, we'll take the whole lot. Oh, wow. Fantastic. So <laughs> that's, that's how it happened. <laughs> so what, what do they do then? How, how does that work? Is there money, any money up front? Is it, is it early as you go? How, what no, do they actually do with them? There's no advance on this one, but I'll, I'll earn a royalty share because basically um, I've signed the contracts and um, obviously can't go into too many of the legalities, but you lic- you, you don't, you're not selling your work. You're licensing your work for a number of years. And so they have licensed the, the copyright you know, from me to use it for five years, and they are going to translate it into German, and the rights give them – they, they can then sell those translated German rights around the world as ebook and paperback formats. It's worth having the German translation done. I mean, that would cost you quite a lot to get that done properly and in an authoritative way, anyway. And to get and to get all four looking like a series. And what's fantastic is that you know they're publishers for people like Alex Shaw and Chris Ryan. So they're I'm in the right. It's the right stable for the Dan Taylor series. It's perfect. It really is. They, um, they're going to do the covers, they'll do the translations, they'll take care of it. I've offered to help with the marketing if they want me to. I don't mind 
you know, I can do some some tweets and stuff and brush up on my schoolgirl German, <laughs> um, which which I think is about that is good, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's about it. So I, I, need, I, I need to get my German dic- yeah, I need to get my German dictionary out. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's all about optimizing your work. You, you know, the first thing we all do is eBooks. The next thing we all do is paperbacks. We should all be getting into audio books. And the next one to look at is your foreign rights. It's to license your foreign rights. And you just pitch to these, you know, just look them up on, again, I just Google them. I, I pitched to a whole heap of publishers over January off the back of that because that obviously strengthened the writing CV. Um, and you just Google them and look for publishers that are publishing the sort of thing that you're writing and then just pitch to them the same as you would any English publisher or agent. One thing that's particularly struck me about our conversation today is that you are throwing a lot of mud against the wall all the time. And about, it seems to me that 50% to 75% of it seems to be sticking. Oh, yeah, it's all very strategic. I don't waste mud. (laughs) (laughs) But but you are, but uh, you know, you were saying, was it something like 60, over 60 blog tour requests, 43 um, library requests? That, you know, that's a lot of mud to be pitching at a wall. I think a lot of, say, traditional authors wouldn't think there's anything like that work involved to get your career going. Yeah, it's interesting. And people don't think about libraries either. I was teaching a workshop last weekend and it was beautiful to just see people's eyes open wide at the thought that not only could they get their books into libraries, but once those libraries buy those books, over here in Australia, and I think it's the same in England, although not in America, you know, once you, you get paid royalties on every borrow as well and if you're self if you're self-published if you're an indie author not only do you get royalties as an author on those borrows you get them because you're the blimmin' publisher as well uh-huh. so it's, it's just it's, it's it's easy money it's, it's it's money that you should be chasing to sustain your business you know, i want to just delve into that a little bit because i've got a local friend who uh, has she self-published but she self-published through a third party so she's not the publisher um, so okay. and she she um had got borrows in libraries and had posted i got so many borrows and she got not very much money but you're saying you get more money also as the publisher then yeah it's a smaller percentage but um for example in the australian public lending rights system um i'll get i think they put the statements out you get paid around june or july um and you get two statements and one's for your royalties as an author, and the other is for your royalties as the publisher. Interesting. So self-publishing is good. If you put yourself down as the publisher, you get a little bit of extra cash um, out of that. Um, yeah. You've done some radio stuff too. Um, 612 Brisbane Radio and Radio Kent. Now, are you from Kent, by the way? I'm from Berkshire originally, but I lived in Kent for four or five years before I moved over here, which is why I set the K Hunter series there. But I used to work as a freelance broadcast assistant for BBC Radio Kent. Ah, I was born in Ham Street near Ashford, you see. So we've 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 got that ah, in yeah. common. Mm, yeah, I was. I'm, yep. That's where my southern accent comes from, even though I live in the north. You see, so ah, there you go. Ah, there so- you go. So, so yeah, I mean, because on the basis that I, there was a bit of mudslinging going on in November, I admit, and I just everyone says, oh, you know. Um, press releases don't work these days well I just got so much coverage in Kent in the Kent Messenger and with BBC Radio Kent as well for that series it just caught people's imaginations that there was a detective series based in Maidstone Fantastic uh, uh, so yeah so press releases work and you got on the local radio station too uh, they, they bit your hand off for that presumably because it's a good local story that's all they want Yeah 
Absolutely. And it was the same with um, ABC Radio 612 here in Brisbane. I, I'd known the producer and I had, had networked and we'd just spoken across Twitter for donkey's years since Under Fire came out, in fact. And, you know, he actually said to me when I he emailed me when I sent the press release in about scared to death. And he said, he said, I've been trying to get you on this radio show for three years. He said, about blimmin' time we did it. So, um, and that was great. And off the back of that, that was so well received by them that um, the presenter, Rebecca, who interviewed me at the end of November, um, she was looking after the breakfast show between Christmas and New Year. So I emailed them both and said, look, I said, New Year's resolutions, everyone thinks, got, you know, everyone decides they want to write a book next year. How about I come in on the breakfast show and just do a short segment every day with, here's how you get started. This is how you do indie publishing. This is what you can do for marketing. And they snapped my hand off at that. So um, I was getting up at something at stupid o'clock to get on air for a quarter to six in the morning between Christmas and New Year and um, did a little segment every day about indie publishing. Yeah, I know that pain. I did breakfast shows for the BBC for several years, and I used to have to get yeah. up at its worst. I used to get up at two thirty in the morning to start a shift at four thirty to be on air at six. Would you believe? Oh God! I used to remember Radio Caroline when they all went legit and they went digital. I do. Yes. Well, they they used to broadcast in the Maidstone Studios, and I used to live up the road from that. And I used to do the graveyard shift between midnight and two a.m. <laughs> It's it's very painful. It can be very painful, can't it, doing those yeah. shifts? <laughs> Living in darkness all the time. That's right, it's a vampire. <laughs> the the other thing that you've done uh, is I noticed that you did a, a workshop. Or you, I think you've done a couple of workshops, but I noticed Joanna Penn was, was posting because while Joanna's over there, you teamed up with Joanna and Belinda Pollard and you've done a, a, a Queensland Writers' Centre uh, workshop. How did that come about? And Do you know Joanna through Crime Fest or, or when she was out in Australia first time round? I didn't know Johanna when she was over in Australia, which is really weird because we both did the same novel writing course in the same year, except really? she did it in, she did it in house and I did it online. Mm. So, but I'd obviously known her or got to know her through social media and her podcasts and her blogs, like we all do. And then, um, caught up with her at Crime Fest last year. The workshop we did was organized between the three of us. That was Joanna contacting myself and Belinda and saying, look, I'm going to be in Australia do you fancy doing this workshop with me? We, you know, we can spread the workload. And we were like, yeah, let's do it. And then Queensland Writers' Centre got wind of it. And so the following day, the Sunday, we did a three-hour in-conversation where Joanna did a, an hour or so presentation about her writing journey since she had left Australia and where she was now with her business. Then we did like a, a Q&A session, a bit more formal with the three of us. And then we just mingled. We just put the microphones down and there was like 90 people in the auditorium. And we said, come and ask us questions, you know, hit us up, ask us about anything. And it was it was really good fun. Tiring, but really good fun. Yeah, it's fan- uh, fantastic to have done that. Now, so you, does that make you class of, is it 2008, 2009 with Joanna? I'm just trying to think what uh, you said. 20, 2010. 2010, is it? Okay, so when you when mm. you, you you all got sort of started with that. Um, well, Joanna, Joanna was already already indie publishing at that point because she'd written her um, nonfiction stuff. But it was when she was writing her first novel was when she did that course. And interestingly, what you were saying about, um, you know, the, the bloke book, she writes as J, is it JF Penn, isn't it, for the for her? Yeah, smart cookie. I should yeah. have done that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You've got that in common, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. It's, her books are much more darker um, than, because she has that theology background. But, yeah, I mean, we're both, you know, picking one of the hardest 
genres we probably could have done as female writers, but it's, you know, it's good fun. And how important are things like those workshops then to, to get the word out? Is that very much giving back to the writing community or do you get something out of that as an author? Does it help you to shift books? I did sell some books, but I, I didn't go there expecting to. For me, it is more about paying it forward. Um, I get concerned because I will go to some of these bigger writing festivals, um, not crime fest, not the genre ones, but some of the other more literary ones, and they'll they'll have a stab at having a seminar or something about indie publishing, and they're just – it's wrong information. It's bad information being given to people that – are back where I was five years ago starting out on their journey and I just get ticked off with it. Um, I'll be the first one to put my hand up and ask some pointed questions and you can just see everybody looking a bit awkward. Um, So being able to have the chance to do workshops like this and give people that that feedback. I mean, we had people there that were on different, different levels. There's people that have got more books out than me. They're probably selling more than me but didn't know about libraries, for instance. There were people that were just starting out and had finished their first book and were contemplating, you know, do I go indie or do I go traditional? And we just you know, successfully swung them onto indie publishing, which was fantastic. But I remember when I used to go to workshops and stuff like that, the good ones, and yeah, okay, you might know some of it, you might know a lot of it, but if you can walk out of something like that with two or three major light bulb moments, the excitement that that gives you in your own writing and your own business endeavors is second to none. And so, yeah, it's important to me to be able to contribute to that. Well, if you think that I'm on, you know, podcast episode, we're coming up to 60 shortly. Um, I learn something from every single author that I talk to, you know, even ones who've just published a book, because there's always something that gets your mind racing. Thinking yeah. You hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that's why I like doing the um, interviews that I have on my blog with crime and thriller authors. You know, we, you know, we're chatting around the emails and stuff like that. And as you say, you, you're always learning something you haven't considered before because it just hadn't come across your radar. You've had some success with BookBub, and we were talking off-air beforehand about BookBub. Can, can you just talk me – I haven't landed a BookBub yet. I think I've only tried twice, so I, I will keep going at it. And I want to do it with the thrillers because I think they're going to be easier. But um, just talk me through your experience of BookBub and, and any kind of tips you can pass our way. The first time I had success with BookBub was just after I um, relaunched White Golden Under Fire with the new covers at the beginning of 2015. I pitched for two international free BookBubs and shifted at six figures of both books within two months of each other. Um, I do find that you stand a better chance if you've got more books out that you can rotate because if you get one BookBub, you wait a month and you can pitch another one and just keep it rolling. Um, I don't tend to do free ones quite so much anymore, but something that does work quite well if you're trying to get your foot in the door and you keep getting knocked back is rather than, and this will help with your money saving as well, rather than pitching to them for the whole world uh, and doing a book bub that way, it's a good idea to just pitch for the international one, which is basically, I think, Canada, India, the UK and Australia, and you just don't get the American coverage. But if you get, locked into that, then you can pay some cheaper sites such as Bargain Booksy or um, e-reader News Today and set yourself up with some promos around that book bub date to keep that momentum going. And that, that works quite well. Um, you used, I think you mentioned uh, free books is my, my favourite until I can get a book bub. Um, anything else yeah, that Bargain works Booksy. well? Yeah, Bargain Booksy. Um, they're, they're owned by Written Word Media. 
and I use they've got another site that's called New in Books and I set up Scared to Death with them a month after it, it had come out to just get some more um, visibility on it then. That didn't work as well as I thought it might, which I was surprised at because Bargain Books is always really good. Um, there's another little cheap site that's quite good and it's just called Hot Zippy, <laughs> Z-I-P-P-Y, which is really cute. But um, they really don't cost much at all, but they're good for one of those fill-in days in between your big promos so for instance if you if you land a book bug promo on a thursday well the monday you sent you know you obviously segment your lists and you email them on the monday and a tuesday get your cheap little hot zippy one in there on the wednesday to just keep the visibility up and then whack everybody with your book bub on the thursday you'll do quite well doing that mm, very interesting tips those Let, let's go back to your your, your strategy uh, i want to just quite quickly as a, as a list what worked what didn't with with your last launch what you know what's on the in tray in the in pile for next time and what's are you going to do less of okay well the biggest one was the mailing list without a doubt um i sent out i segmented rather than um send everybody the mailing the the newsletter on the same day i I didn't use um amazon pre-orders so but i held the price down for a few days so everybody on my mailing list could get the the same price as people were getting as pre-orders on Kobo and iTunes. Um, what didn't work? Facebook ads, still not convinced. I, I put them out there, um, just ran them cheap, just again, just to keep the whole visibility thing going. Thunderclap didn't work for me, um, which was a shame because I got a lot of support for that. It went way over the minimum. I set the minimum at 100, um, and it went way over that. Um, that didn't work at all. Um, so I won't be wasting my time doing that again. Um, it's free up to a point and then you can pay for it if you want the, um, the names and emails of people that supported you out of it. I pitched and got mentions in things like Brick Crime, the Crime Writers Association, Red Herrings and the International Thriller Writers. I pitched to them, um, just to get a mention in dispatches and they ended up running an interview with me. Um, in January in their magazine then. That was really cool to have that go out in the January and keep the, you know, keep the momentum up over that month. Um, and then, yeah, I just did some advertising with um, Bargain Booksy, I think, the same week on the Thursday to just lead the book into the weekend. We're recording this interview right at the beginning of March, so it's you know several months after the launch now. Have you managed to sustain it, or is it is it beginning to tail off now? It's settled, but um, it's still top fifty in British mysteries and the US chart, and I think that's the highest I've ever had a book stay. Um, And it's something like forty six or forty five in mystery series in the UK. So I'm pleased with that. I mean. It's like I said to you at the time, I didn't want a humongous spike and then a drop. There's no point in me making, you know, four or five figures in the first week and then it disappears into oblivion. This is always about setting it up for a successful series. There's going to be three more books coming out this year in the same series. So every time I bring one out, it's building on the success of that first book. And is that the key to it then, again, to get those books out fast so that you could then, you've got the manoeuvrability, you can create the box sets, you know, you can start to play all the tricks then? Yep, definitely. So get, get them out um, fast, get them launched. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, it's like I said to you 
off air, you know, I've, I finished books two and three. I wrote something ridiculous, like 130,000 words between the beginning of November and the end of January, mid-February to get the next two books done. Um, I've already started outlining what – book, book four is easy because I don't know if you remember when we, when we last spoke, book four was going to be book one, and then I realized I had a series on my hand, so I've got the outline for book four, so I can, I can get that out later this year. But um, it's, I think it's because the habit is so well-formed now with the writing, and I'm loving the characters um, it's it's easy. It's not a chore. I've been. It's the same with the Dan Taylor series. I've been listening to the audiobook files for Three Lives Down, which is going to be the next audiobook to come out in that series um, today. And I'd forgotten so much about the story. I'm I'm enjoying listening to it as a reader. It's um it's good. It's good fun. And then I, I know this is asking you to look into your crystal ball, but um, you know clearly this has been a really successful launch. You're getting a lot of books behind you now, and Kay Hunter seems to be going, you know, re- really well. Um, do you think you might be able to pack that part-time job in at some point soon? Yeah, it'd be nice. I mean, it was quite funny when I, when I left work, um, before Christmas and I was still just on a total high about the launch and how it'd gone and blog tour was still going. Um, my, as I left the office, my boss turned around and he went, hey, he said, are you coming back in the new year? And I went, yes, <laughs> yeah, I think I, at this point in time, I'll be back in the new year. And he very kindly turned around and he said, look, he said, we want, this. He said, we want you to be successful. He said, if it gets too much work in the days that you are at the moment, we can always drop another day. We can always change your contract, work around your writing. He said, you just yell when. So it was a fantastic way to end 2016. And it, I just felt everything that i'd worked for last year has set me up so well for this year and and boy you know you do work don't you you know i i said this to you last time you really uh, deserve this because i cannot believe you know i think I, I think i put a bit of work in but you work harder than i do uh, you really really you know working at it all the time you do get some personal time i take it in all of this yeah, yeah, you know, Nick, my other half, um, he's pretty good. If I'm, you know, I, I do what you do, as we were saying off air, you know, I get home from work and I spend a couple of hours in the office and often he'll stick his head around the door and went, dinner's served, come and eat. <laughs> <laughs> and so he makes sure that I don't disappear or faint on the spot sort of thing. So, um, but it's, it's great. You've got to have the support of the people around you. Yeah, I've had friends drop by the wayside because they just don't get it that I have to work this hard to get to where I want to be. It's the same as any other career if you're passionate about it. You know, if you want to go and be an astronaut, you know, you, you put your head down, you work to get there. It's um some people will get it, some people won't. It took me ten years to get into radio. Um, you know, of doing student radio, hospital radio, practicing yeah, in the bedroom. Yeah, I used to do hospital radio, mm. yeah. <laughs> ten, ten years it took me to get a proper job at the BBC. And I, I just liken this career to that. You know, you just have to keep going. You keep going and you yeah. keep going. Yeah, if you want it, you'll, you'll do it. Yeah, and it, and it does happen. And, and the other thing, listening to podcasts and reading books, is um, consistency and persistence seem to be the two things that always win through. And you've got to keep learning. You've got to be agile. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As, as independent publishers, I think we, we absolutely have to. Um, yeah. Th- this interview, Rachel, is going to go out on the 10th of April, which is going to be the the, the week after you release K Hunter 2. It'll be crazy week. <laughs> Will to Live. Yeah, so we have to get you before then. So, um, yeah, 4th of April, it's coming out. Just tell us about uh, Will to Live and, and what your plans are to, to get that as successful as, as K Hunter 1. Will to Live 
um, pulls out the subplot a bit more um, that I started in Scared to Death. In Will to Live, Kay is up against another sadistic serial killer um, who's using a unique way of the local railway lines to dispose of his victims. And I'm developing the characters more to me. It's not just about Kay. It's about the people around her. I've always said that. I, there's a strong team there. Um, they've each got so much to contribute to this series going forward and will as these next three books come out. And it's, 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 it's just been so much fun writing them and learning about the police procedures and um, talking to some friends about what really goes on on railways. I went to some really dark places writing this current book, Will to Live. It's, you, you think, yeah, okay, you're writing serial killers, it's going to be dark anyway, but writing about suicides on railways and stuff like that was quite confronting. And to have to come out of that and still make it entertaining to read without being flippant about what I was writing about. That was a whole new challenge that, yeah, I didn't didn't expect that from the second book. That was a bit of an eye-opener, um, but it, it sets up the series quite nicely. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.